0: Well, you can sit down. You guys are awesome. And today it's actually you guys are awesome. Great job. You did it without the girls, that had to be tough. We survived worship without the girls. It was still glorious. You know, I had a new experience today. I actually worshiped in here. Is anybody a snow skier? I know Millie's a snow skier. You might know what snow plowing is. I felt the need to put my feet like this to keep myself from sliding down the mountain. <laughs> I'm going to steal your stool. Well, I think, I think, I hope that I'll be quick today because I want us to pray together corporately. I felt like the Lord really wanted us to pray together today. So if I seem like I'm going really fast, it's on purpose. But it's not a really long message. I've been telling you for a few weeks that I wanted to share with you Um, some work that the Lord's been doing in me. I'll be your example that you can use. So if you ever feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not so godly, then you'll always have me to look at and you'll be able to say, well, at least I'm better than him. All right. So last week we talked about how stuff gets done. It was the context of God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and He's everywhere present. And in His, I'm not sure of the right tense of the word, sovereignness, and in His ability, there is no reason for God to need you or I for anything. But because He's God, and because He can set things up however He wants, He chooses in many, many, many cases, and Scripture will bear this out, to get the things done that He wants done through His people. So we are called to serve the Lord, to obey His commands. He's going to put us in situations, and He's going to expect us to be able to, to to do those things for Him. Today, we're going to talk about how He gets us done, so that we're actually in a place where we can be useful. You know, you can be a brand new Christian, but that light might still be kind of under the basket a little bit. So there might be some situations that that God might not put you in as a brand-new Christian that he might as a seasoned veteran. And today we'll talk just quickly about the process of how he gets you there. Um, All of this is because I wanted to tell you the story about how he's been working through me in a a particular area, and I wanted to make sure that it was in the context of how God really does stuff. So um, last week—oh, I'm in charge of this. I keep forgetting— This is why Daniel didn't take this thing and do one of those Chuck Berry things because he would have broke my clicker. So, how we get done. Last week, the kind of all-encompassing passage of Scripture that really showed um, the truth in the message was in John chapter 15. And I'm not going to read all the Scripture, but in verse 2 it says, Every branch in me, remember, Jesus is the vine, we're the branch. If we don't abide in him... We can do nothing. Everything, he is the source for everything we do as Christians. So we have to abide. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So today, talk a little bit about that pruning process. Sometimes it's beautiful. I've had, that I'm aware of, two areas of my life that were very, very ungodly that just disappeared. I didn't even know they were gone. I never asked God to take them away. They just disappeared. But there's other areas of my life, like we'll talk about today, that God's got to work. He's got to prune me, and there's a process that he follows. So that's the context we're going to take. And from the big picture last week, we drilled down into kind of how does he prune us. Look at four scriptures, and you can see a pattern here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, that of the Lord, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Romans eight twenty nine. This is the first half of the verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And finally, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I love, as I'm learning to move with the Lord and share messages with you, how there's probably 50 scriptures that God could have made his point with, but these are the ones that he gave me. And I think it's because they're consistent with the way he's wired me. If Kirk or Chris or Teresa or somebody was preaching the same message, you might see four or five completely different scriptures, but God could get us all to the same place. I think it's really, really cool. So let's just take a quick minute and look at these four. The first two, 2 Corinthians 3 and Romans 8, talk about a, a, a process and a goal of us being like Jesus. And the next one talks about, in First Peter, it's where it says uh, the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men. It's not talking about living you know, in the flesh, where we talk about being in our flesh versus in the spirit. It's talking about in this fleshly thing that carries us around while we're on this earth. So the rest of the time that we're here, that we would live no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And then this last one was always one that made me happy to be a Christian, denying myself, taking up my cross daily, And following Jesus. You see a little pattern in there? So, from these scriptures, we learn some stuff. First, we participate with the Holy Spirit to be transformed. The process of transformation is from glory to glory through suffering in this flesh as we deny ourselves and daily carry our crosses, so that we cease from sin and are ultimately conformed to the image of Christ. To live for the will of God. So, the process of us becoming useful for God as He continually takes us through this transformation. Transformation, by the way, is the process. Confirmation, the conf- becoming conformed to, is actually the goal. So, ultimately, we would be a perfect representation of Christ, we would be conformed to His image exactly. On our way to that place, we're being transformed from glory to glory. That we would cease from sin and are ultimately transformed to his image, living for the will of God. There was something else I thought I wanted to mention for you. And back in 1 Peter 4... Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he is not a capital H, he. That's a lower H, he. That's that's me, he, or you, she, uh, whatever the case might be. So he's not talking about Jesus. Peter is talking about the man that has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Okay. Move on. From glory to glory. That's a scripture that I've always liked. It's funny. are scriptures that I didn't like, like the one that says that I have to deny myself and daily pick up my cross and follow Jesus. It doesn't sound like much fun. Glory to glory always sounded like really cool. I'm all about glory. God's glory, me in the middle of it, me experiencing it, it through me. Any kind of way, glory, I'm always happy about. As I start to understand the scriptures more, The glory is still cool, but it doesn't come by itself. Glory comes as a part of this process. So, if you look at from glory to glory, you see that glorification follows crucifixion. If you look at the example of Jesus, he lived the perfect life. He was he was beaten. He was crucified. He was buried in the tomb. He was resurrected and then ultimately glorified as he was taken up and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Glorification seems to follow crucifixion. Crucifixion happens on the cross. The cross is where stuff dies. We suffer as we die to ourself. And ultimately, the glory comes from being of useful value to the Lord. Now this is this is my personal opinion. There's probably others that are perfectly valid, but personally, the glory to glory comes from being of useful value to the Lord, experiencing the joy of being used by the Lord and becoming more like the Lord. So in this process from glory to glory, there has to be something that dies so that something can be re- resurrected and ultimately then glorified. We take and carry our cross daily, and we suffer in this flesh. So there are things in our lives that need to die so that God's glory can be risen up from us. And that's the kind of the, the story I want to tell today is I captured it actually happening with me. Sometimes, like I had a few things I told you about that God just took them. Thank you, God. One of them, for sure, I wouldn't want to have to go through this process with. And he didn't make me. He just it just disappeared. Never asked. Never prayed. Never anything. But other things, he showed me. Um, God showed me pride was the very first one where I actually caught him working in me. I, I was I was conscious of the process as it would happen. The second one, um, I should have felt really bad about pride, but I felt a lot worse about gossip. When God showed me gossip, I really hated that one because guys don't gossip, but it turns out we do. Um, The third one was selfishness. And then this one was selfishness again. And I don't think it was necessarily um, that I had failed at the first pass. I think God in his grace showed me, he he just opened me a little piece of selfishness. The very first time he showed it to me, I was standing over the stove. And uh, Teresa had made dinner, and part of the dinner were chicken breasts. And there was... Two left, one for me and one for Joe. And then one of them was big and one of them wasn't as big. And my fork went right for the big one. Because I'm the dad, I always eat the big chicken breast. And as the fork was going down into the pan to get the chicken breast, the Holy Spirit nudged me and he said, selfishness takes the big one. Selflessness takes the small one. And I'm like, but I want the big one, God. <laughs> but I did it. I took the, I took the little one. And consciously, I'm aware of selfishness. That's a pretty shallow level, right? I mean, you could tell I could survive on less than the biggest chicken breast for a long time and be okay. But that was a shallow level of selfishness. God only showed me a little because if he'd show me all my junk at once, I'd probably blow up. I'd just go... So this process started in prayer, and I really debated... I'm going to sit down, if if you don't mind. I don't want to mess up my thoughts. Um... Really debated whether I was going to tell you the whole story or not but i 'm gonna so sometimes when I say you like god 's speaking to me about you, he might not be speaking about you you know i 'm using the collective you so if if I say something and you 're like well he doesn 't know the Lord because he said me and i don 't have that problem it 's probably not you, but some people I guarantee you do have this problem because God told me so when I pray and I pray a lot um, For myself, the two biggest things I pray for, the most regular prayers, if you were able to hear my prayers and there was a ticker someplace, the first one would be for more love, that God would continually so overfill me with love that he would give me his eyes to see people. I don't want to see people in the flesh. I want to see them in the beauty way that God sees them so that I can love them the way that he wants me to love them. So the first thing I ask for, and I believe it's a commodity, I think there's substance to love, that you can actually have it, you can consume it. And you can have a need for more, that it's not this thing that just never runs out. It is a constant getting from God. The second thing is to be like Jesus. I pray all the time that I want to be like Jesus. And when I started telling people that that was one of my big prayers, they said, you better be careful, because when he makes you like Jesus, the process of getting there sometimes just stinks. And I thought to myself, "Mm, yeah, probably, I've had a few of those experiences, but I want to be like Jesus because I want to experience... Well, I hope I want to do it just for all the right reasons. But my selfish reason is the more I get like Jesus, the more he uses me. And if I could see cancer bow to his name through my hand, then that's a home run for me. So anyway, those are my two big prayers. When I'm praying for you, it's because I want you to be like how I want to be, I guess. They're very similar. I pray for more love and also for a greater revelation of how much God loves you so that you would be founded in the knowledge of God's love for you, which is so amazing. But there's a whole lot of stuff that that tries to keep you from understanding it. So I pray a lot that you would not only get that love that you'd be able to share, but that you would get the full revelation of how much God loves you. I pray that you would bear much fruit. We're the church. You know, I mean, well, the church is the church. We're a little piece of the church, this church. But if we don't bear fruit, then we're not doing something right. We should be growing in spiritual fruit. We should be growing in giftings and and the impact that we have on the world around us. So I pray that you guys would be fruity. Um, I pray for your well-being, that you would be healthy and that if you, you'd have jobs and that your families would be knitted together with love and that you'd be good parents and good kids and your marriages would be strong. I pray for your well-being and I also pray, sorry, that you would be like Jesus because none of the rest of that stuff's likely to happen very much if you don't, Get down this path of being like Jesus. So one morning I'm praying, and I'm praying for you specifically, all my prayers, and I was praying at that moment that you would be transformed into the perfect likeness of Christ, That that your lives, you know, collectively as church on the street and individually everywhere you go, would bear a tremendous amount of fruit for God that would bring him glory, just like John 15 said. And as I was praying that, I heard the Lord say to me that... There was an impediment, impediment, uh, something in between that outcome and where you are today. And that was selfishness. I said, Lord, what is it? He said, selfishness. And I'm pondering. I'm like, wow, hmm. I don't know what to do, Lord. How do we deal with selfishness in the body so that we can bear more fruit and be more like Jesus? And as I was just contemplating and listening for some kind of instruction, is there scripture that I can go to and teach on or how do I do it? Um, I got the answer that I just love so much that went start with yourself. I'm like man, God I've already been down this one, you know. <laughs> but there was more for me, and and He wanted me to see selfishness in myself. I, this is I, what I think, and and work it out of my character, at least to the level that He showed me this time. There's probably more to go um, before I was to have any sense for dealing with it on a corporate basis. So I started to pray. I'm like, Lord, hey, I want to be like Jesus. If I'm selfish, then I want it to go and let's do whatever we need to do to have me not be selfish. And I'm short attention span, went on to something else and kind of a little bit forgot about it. Um, So then this process starts, but I don't recognize the process. The next morning, maybe, a couple days later, maybe it was the next, I don't know, very shortly after saying, God, let's work selfishness out of me, I'm praying again. I'm in my little prayer closet. I have my cell phone with me all the time because it's got a uh, Greek dictionary on it. And a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, what the Greek word is in there? So I bring it up in my little cell phone and read it. But this morning it rang at 6.57 a.m. I didn't recognize the number. I picked it up and I said, hello. And they said, hi, you don't know me. But I have to be to court in Pontiac at 8.30, and I don't have a ride. I'm like, hmm, okay. Just a minute. Run upstairs, because Teresa's in her prayer closet. Hey, I, we got to take some lady to Pontiac. She's got to go to court, and she doesn't have a ride. She looks at me like I've been drunk in the spirit or something. <laughs> but she's like, okay. So I tell the lady, okay, where do you live? And she tells me where she lives, and, and we get ourselves all cleaned up and dressed, and we jump in the car, and we run over to her house, and she and the baby get in our car, and we drive to Pontiac. And we get there like right at 8.30. She gets out of the car, and she starts walking towards the courthouse. And I'm like, Teresa, she forgot her baby. <laughs> but now she's gone. So now we got me and Teresa and the baby. It's 8.30 in the morning. I don't know. Thank God I've only been to court one time uh, when I was 16 years old. The cop lied. No, I was speeding. <laughs> but I've never been in the court system. I have no concept of how court works. So... Um, the baby starts to nuzzle a little bit. Teresa says, drive, drive. If you drive, the baby will stay asleep. So the, I don't know if you've ever been to the courthouse in Pontiac, big building, pretty good-sized parking lot. We're driving around to keep the baby asleep. Now it's 9 o'clock. We drive past the door. She's not there. 9.30, we drive in the parking lot. Drive past the door. She's not there. 10.30, she's not there. I'm like, man, she must have been did something really bad because she's at court a long time. 11 o'clock, 11.30, it gets to be almost noon. I said, Teresa, if she's not out here by noon, I'm going to go in there and find out what's going on. I mean, we got this baby back here. We don't even know the lady. And noon comes and goes. So we pull up in front of the building. I get out. Teresa gets in the driver's seat, and she starts to drive in the parking lot so the baby won't wake up. Praise God, the baby never woke up the whole time. Over three and a half hours, we're driving around in this parking lot in the courthouse in Pontiac. God must have a sense of humor, too. I see the funny in it myself. So I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what she's in there for. Nothing. So I go to this. I get through the... It's like a, a, a airport thing. I have to empty my pockets, take off my belt, take off my shoes, go through the security, get dressed again. I wander around. I find this desk, and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for this lady. Oh, what's her name? Yeah, I don't know her name. <laughs> but she's... She's in court, but she's been in court since 8.30. Is it possible that she's still in court? She said, well, nobody's in court. All the courts break at noon. Like, but I got her baby. Where's the lady? So she says, well, she could have been in this one, this one. The thing's like four stories tall. So I go running up the stairs, looking in all the courtrooms, down the stairs, looking in all the courtrooms, come back, and she's not there. She says, well, I don't know what to tell you. I said, is it possible she got arrested in court? Maybe they put her in the jail? They call down. There's no one in the jail. I'm wandering back to get Teresa, and I notice you can come in this way, go through the security, and you can go right out the backside. I'm like, that lady left the place. Some guy was waiting on the other side, and she left us with her kid. Holy smokes. Well, it turns out I get out to the curb, and there's Teresa with the lady. turns out she never had court. I don't know what happened, why she didn't have court. She's in there for three and a half hours. We drive her towards home. I don't need to give you any more details. That's the funniest part of the story. The fun stops there. But turns out, <laughs> turns out that this lady has made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision in her life. And the fruit of all those bad decisions was laying in our lap right there. And for two weeks, pick her up, Teresa, mostly really, Teresa. Uh, pick her up in the morning, take her to work, because I can't be in the car alone with her. I don't know her. You know, it's just not smart. Uh, that that afternoon, as a matter of fact, we took her home. We helped her with something. She had to be to work at 4 o'clock, drove her to work. At midnight, Teresa drove back and got her, brought her back home, back and forth, back and forth for two weeks. And I am just this whining, whining Christian. I'm doing it. Because I know to do it. There's enough of the Holy Spirit in me to do it, but not enough of me to do it with the right heart, you know? And what God's showing me is myself. He's showing me my selfishness in this whole process of he's presented this situation to me. Here's a person that needs help. I pray for him. God, use me, use me, use me. And then when he does, I get whiny. So there was that, went on for two weeks. Into the second week... um, we're blessed that we have time, and we don't have a full-time job outside of doing this. This is kind of our life right now, and, and you guys aren't that much work. So we have some time um, that God gives us. And But I had a set. It doesn't matter whether I did this first or that first, but I had this plan for my day. had a wonderful time with the Lord. It's, um, my phone had gone off somehow. I missed it. I checked my voicemail, and it's Marcy. She's got to take Hunter to the dentist, I think it might have been to the dentist. And she doesn't have a way to, you've heard the story about helping Hunter up in and out of the van. And I'm like, I got to hurry up, get ready to go, you know, go load Hunter up. And I don't want to, because I got a plan, you know, stupid. I get ready. I go, I load Hunter in a van. He breaks my heart. I uh, drive to the dentist. You know, we do the whole thing, come back, as I'm taking Hunter out of the van, it's harder to get him out than to get him in, and I and his hips are dislocated, so he gets in pain if his hips are shifted as you're trying to... But it, it, he just had these tears coming down his face, and I thought, Lord, if I'm not the biggest jerk on this whole earth, I don't know who is. And um, I was blessed. I was so blessed by that day, and God was starting to see a little bit of a turn in me, but I still didn't understand what he was doing. So um, the next day... It was evening. It was a Tuesday evening. I'm praying, and the Lord showed me what he was doing. And I'm like, "Rats, blew it again. Um, But nothing big. That next morning, when I get up to pray, he um, had shown me that I had asked him to help with this thing called selfishness and that he had brought this lady into our life so that I could be selfless He had given us opportunities to be a blessing to Marcy and to Hunter so that I could be selfless, that I could learn. And um, I flunked pretty bad. But God is so amazing that I started confessing that sin. Lord, I am selfish. I mean, I knew I was anyway, but I I confessed it in in the presence of my prayer time with God. And all of a sudden, in my sincere desire to repent and my honest confession the holy spirit fell on me like wow and i started to weep and i'm telling you i can cry with the best of them but i was my, my body was shaking i was weeping so bad but it was joyful it was like oh my gosh there's a scripture that talks about who is man that you are mindful of him it's just me just this this little thing that's just like a vapor in the Picture of all of eternity and all of people, but God chose to help me with selfishness so that I could be useful to the King of Kings. It's it just wrecked me. And then He started to um, He showed me His heart for you, and He showed me He He literally let me feel Marcy's burden: single mom, severely handicapped son. Um, you all know that you know she's got to find a place to live. He let the weight of her burden rest on me so that I could understand why his heart breaks and why he needs me to not be selfish. And just stinking wrecked me. I was so, so, so blessed. Um, in that process, he gave me a scripture. I forget where I'm at with the clicker. He gave me... Um, I'm not clicking for some reason. Well, he gave me... Uh, Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. And I'll just read you verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And it just, it spoke to me so much. Um, Now I've been with him for about three hours that morning, and I'm still conscious of stuff that I need to do outside of my prayer time, and I said, "Lord, thank you so much. I, I just want to worship one more song. If you know, I'm, if you'll just let me worship you one more song." And that morning, um, I did something that I never do. I have a list of songs. Are we back on? Okay. So that's the that's the course of scripture. I have like about 170 songs that just they, they're on this big playlist, and they can't get on there if they don't move me to a place of worship. I listen to them, and I. And I, I think about them, and if my heart doesn't move towards the Lord, it doesn't get to be on that list. So whenever I'm praying with music or I'm worshiping the Lord in my prayer closet, it's those 170 songs set on shuffle, you know, round and round. There's enough of them in there that I don't get the same one so often I get sick of it. But this morning, I didn't do that. For some reason, I was um, listening to a Hillsong CD. So I said, Lord, let me have just one more song of worship. And then I think I have to get up and get on with my day. And about 20 seconds later, the next song started. And I'll play you, uh, in one second, I'll play you the, um, the first part of it. But here, after understand that situation, you know, God had just taken me through this process. He's shown me some filthiness in my heart. He'd given me opportunities to go through this process of transformation. He'd, he'd let me take selfishness to the cross where it would die so that I, I, that little part of me could be glorified more. Now, like I said, I don't think I'm all the way done with selfishness. I still have to have to battle it, but at least I'm so conscious of it now and, and I can turn my thoughts towards the right way so quickly because I'm aware of them because I've been through that process. So selfishness had to go to the cross and die. I've been weeping for two hours, just this joy that God would just do this with me The last song I'm going to worship, here's the first words that I hear. I have really sweet Bose headphones. It sounds great. It says, Open your eyes to see the things, or excuse me, open our eyes to see the things that make your heart cry. To be the church that you would desire, your light to be seen. Break down our pride and the walls we've built up inside, our earthly crowns and all our desires we lay at your feet. And you could say that was just a coincidence, but I'm telling you it was not a coincidence. I had just barely regained my composure, and bam, I fall apart again. So, J.D., if you would, just play until it's done with that part. That just can, takes me right back to that spot that we could all have that spot. Sometimes we go to, I don't know, people call them wilderness times and, and God tests our faith in other ways where we don't sense his presence. But if we will constantly press into the Lord and if we'll understand the calling on our lives, not necessarily the specific, I mean, you would want to do that, but I mean, we all have a call. He, he put us here for a purpose. He's given you... Uh, gifts. No part of the body is exactly the same as another part of the body. And if we'll honestly and sincerely ask the Lord to make us like Jesus, he will. And if we're lucky, we'll catch him doing it, which, by the way, makes the process easier because then you can agree with them instead of fight with him because you realize what's going on. Um, but that's the gist of God gets stuff done. He can do it sovereignly, and sometimes he does, right? Every single day, I don't have to pray that the sun's going to come up The sun just comes up. Every day it sets, the stars come, the clouds, the the rain falls and waters the fields. I mean, certain things, they just happen because God is God. My couple of issues in life that were very ungodly just took them. Didn't make me sweat a drop of sweat to make them go away. But a lot of what God does, he needs us to do it. That's just the order that he's placed. And as he grows us, as we're transformed into the being conformed, into the likeness of Christ, there are things in our lives that have to be taken to the cross and they have to die there. And there's pain in that. There's suffering associated with that. But the suffering is glorious because what comes out on the other side is somebody who's more useful so that uh, that you can hug somebody And the word precious, 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 precious might come out of your mouth, and you have no sense for what the heck is going on, but God is using your vocal cords to speak audibly to a daughter that he loves so much that hasn't been able to receive it. Oh, my gosh. It's just, wow. One other story I want to tell you, and that is... um, There's a. This is a sermonette. There's. There's probably you could preach a hundred sermons and never be done with this topic, but God also. There's suffering associated with being a Christian or, or with life really that isn't necessarily to conform us. The Bible is very practical, and and when God would tell you the way you should live your life, it's not just because He wants to boss you around. It's because it's good for you to live your life that way. We were listening to a teaching by um, Derek Prince, amazing teacher, very anointed. He's with the Lord now. But anyway, we were listening to a teaching of his, and he was talking about suffering. And he shared this story. I don't know if it was fictional or not, but it's it's cool about a young woman. And this young lady was absolutely in love with the Lord. She was a regular churchgoer, which doesn't necessarily mean you love the Lord, but this is the way he told the story. You know, regularly, always in church. She was a worshiper. She was obedient to God's word. She was just, you know, a picture of a Christian lady. And this man came into her life, who, for all, seemed like a good guy and everything, but he wasn't a Christian. He didn't go to church, but he was very enamored with the lady. And... um they started to have a relationship, Didn't, no indication that it was a bad relationship, but it was you know, a growing relationship, a courtship was happening, and eventually she went to her pastor and she said, Pastor, this man has come into my life, I think he's the man, and I think you know, he's going to ask me to marry him. pastor had seen him because he'd been at church, the guy said, I love you, you know, I want to be with you forever, she said, come to church with me, he said, I'll do anything you know, to be able to have you in my life. So he starts going to church with her, but he had never confessed Christ. As Lord, he had never, by faith, placed his life in the hands of the Lord. So he was going to church, but he wasn't a Christian. And the pastor said, Don't marry him. Don't have a relationship with him. Scripture teaches that you're not to be unequally yoked, that you should be yoked equally, a believer with a believer, not a believer with an unbeliever. It doesn't mean that it can't work out, but Scripture tells you it's good for you to be yoked with another believer. So this lady had a decision to make. And either decision she made, she was going to suffer. If she decided to listen to the wisdom of her pastor and sever the relationship with the man, she was going to suffer in her flesh because she had feelings for the man. And if he wasn't going to be her life anymore, it was going to hurt. But if she made the other decision, she was very likely going to suffer as well because she would have been unequally yoked. And maybe they would have gotten married and likely they would have had children. And maybe five or 10 or 15 years down the road, They would have been harder and harder for him to come to church, let's say, because now he has her. The the reason he went to church was to get her. Now he already has her as his wife. And if ultimately the marriage failed, now there's children involved. um, There's hurt. There's pain. There's all this stuff. There's years lost because of that. So there's going to be suffering on her part likely either way. If she severs the relationship there's going to be the pain of not having the guy anymore. If she keeps the relationship, ultimately, because they're unequally yoked, there's going to be pain in the relationship. And then if it breaks up, ultimately in the in the breaking up. So there's two things where you see suffering. Sometimes we suffer in our flesh as the Lord is tra- using that process of transformation that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. But sometimes it's just because it's good for us and it's practical. And, and you can see the immediate pain sometimes if you were to follow what God would tell you to do. But it's a lot harder to see the longer term. So be conscious of that as well, okay? I've talked this right through our prayer time. Rats. Well, homework for you guys. Pray. When you pray, there's some things to pray for specifically that we are going to pray together. We still need to see God's power in a mightier and mightier way. Isaiah Green does not have a pallet. He does not have a gum line. If God doesn't provide that for him miraculously before June, is it? Before June, then a surgeon's going to put it in there. But I can't believe that as as amazing a job as the surgeon did on his lip, that it's as good as if if we could have moved heaven to do that. So pray for that miracle. Liz Kahn still does not have a thyroid. She has to take pills or something because she has no whatever a thyroid does inside of her. Pray that Liz would get a thyroid. Pray for favor in our community here. We have people in our family that, not named Brady, named Kotz, the family of church on the street that need jobs. God can make jobs for us. And it's not that God, maybe he's testing, I don't know. You know. Scripture says the testing of your faith. Your faith is going to be tested. So there's probably a process that God will work in these things but we can move his hand. People need to have jobs. They need to have jobs that they can live a reasonable life, that they can support a family, that that they can be generous when God gives them opportunities to be generous. So pray that people that need jobs would have jobs. That's probably a good list to start with. Am I missing anything important, Trees? Oh, Bailey, yeah. Forgive me. Bailey Dickerson. I don't even know how to, I don't want to claim autism, has the symptoms of autism, and they need to go. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, Down syndrome has been cured. There There are verified cases of people that had Down syndrome that through the power of prayer and the anointing of God, they don't have it anymore. There's people that had autism that don't have it anymore. I don't know what stands between God's will for Bailey, God's will for Liz, God's will for Isaiah, God's will for the people that need a job, and us. But God says in his word that we need to pray, and we need to continuously pray and not be discouraged. He, he tells us in parables, he tells us directly where he says continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. He, he teaches us in the uh, parable of the Unjust Judge, I think, is its, its title about this lady who's persistent, persistent, persistent after this judge because she needs justice in her life. And the judge could care less. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. He's an unjust judge. But she is pestering him to the point where he can't stand it anymore. And he gives her the justice that she deserves. Now, God isn't like that. God isn't that judge. But there's evil in this world. There's things that oppose our prayers. And I think he's trying to teach us that you're chipping away, you're chipping away, you're chipping away. Don't be discouraged. Pray, 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 and you'll see. Okay? All right. Let's just pray a little bit. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all these amazing people, God. I I just think we have to be the most blessed church ever. I pray that all the churches are the most blessed church, Lord, that your spirit would flow and move and be free in every church, everywhere, God, that your church, Lord Jesus would be powerful and mighty and and able lord empowered by you that we would be a praying church lord that we wouldn't be discouraged we wouldn't grow weary that your spirit will constantly refresh us lord refresh us refresh us keep us full lord i pray that that we would be fruitful that we would be transformed into the likeness of jesus that those rivers of living water would be just gushing more and more and more out of our innermost places as your spirit flows through us and and touches the world around us. Lord, I thank you for the relationship that you're starting with us here uh, in the school district. I pray for your favor to reign in this place, Lord. I pray that Principal Kramer would have a sense for however you measure the health of a high school, Lord and And I just declare, by the presence of your spirit here and of praying Christians that 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 's going to get better it 's going to move up and to the right that that teachers will feel like they 're appreciated Lord that no that they will be appreciated, and that 's why they 'll feel that way, Lord. That the students will be hungry and eager to learn, and and that the the staff and the teachers will be creative, and and they'll have new and interesting ways to teach, Lord, and that every child will be reached, that no no child in this school, who maybe has a little different slant on how they learn, wouldn't be reached by the teachers so that they can grow, Lord, I pray that they grow in character, that the character of the students and the staff at Lake Fenton High School would continually be raised higher and higher and higher and that this place would be a beacon and a light for other people to aspire to, other schools, other families. Matter of fact, that that if you own a house in the Lake Fenton School District, that your property value would increase because the quality of what happens with the children in this school is so different from any place else. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. Bless us as we go through our day. Everything again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday. See you next week or sooner. Bye bye.